If you're thinking, I should go for a run today, but it looks like it could rain, Sierra says, save on epic rain jackets. If you're also thinking, but I can't go out in these beat up old running shoes, Sierra says, save on top brand running shoes. And if you're still thinking, but I'm also busy performing brain surgery, well then we say, you really should have led with that. Sierra, let's get moving to your local store, like now, go. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This is the Olive Magazine podcast, a weekly roundup of food and drink chat brought to you by the team behind Olive Magazine, and this is episode 121. I'm Janine, Olive's food director and podcast host. Later on in the podcast, Ellie is chatting to Nick Bernard, co-founder of Rude Health and World Porridge Champion, about what makes the perfect bowl of porridge, why bone marrow works with oats, and what exactly is a spurtle. But first I want to catch up with Sarah Calcutt from English Apples and Pears to find out all about this year's apple season, why we're so good at producing this incredible fruit in the UK, and how we can all do our bit to support our native growers. So I'm here today with Sarah Calcutt, who is Operations Director for English Apples and Pears, um, also known as the expert apple lady. <laughs> and, um, and we're here to talk all about English apples. Um, this all came about because I'd, I'd started to write a feature about, about English apples because I felt like every time I walked into a shop or a supermarket, I was confronted with a lot of apples that weren't particularly English varieties or English apples. Um, so I rang up um, Sarah and had a little chat and um, she agreed to come on the podcast and talk about it. So tell us about um, where we are right now with the, the British apple industry, the English apple industry. So we're in the middle of the, the start of harvest. So yeah. we've picked Discovery and that's all now being sold. So yeah. we're around to Worcesters and Red Windsors and then next week we'll start picking cocks. So we're just getting September and October is real peak harvest yeah. time. Um, the industry is in quite a good position this year in terms of quality. You know, that fabulous summer has given us beautiful, yeah, beautiful flavour in it the fruit. Wasn't, it wasn't too hot for it. I well, mean. Uh, yes and no. Some varieties, <laughs> if they were bred in Britain, don't like hot weather because actually we're not very used to it. Yeah. Neither the trees. Um, we have a challenge because of lack of water, so some of the fruit is quite small, okay. but it has intensified the flavour. Okay. It is just, I mean... It intensifies the sugars because of it does the, yeah. very much. So there's good sugar levels, but also it's, good flavoured apples are a balance between natural fruit acid and natural yeah. fruit sugar, and um, yeah, great taste this year. Great, and and you were saying that because. Um, there was a, a quite a bad frost a couple of years ago, wasn't there, in 2017? Yeah, last spring was, yeah. well, last year, the spring was was pretty devastating. I mean, some orchards with growers that I know, there was nothing left because wow. the, the frost actually freezes um, within the blossom and that's it. Oh, um, it's not going to get any? No, so there's no, there's no fruit. Uh -huh. um, and if you actually had fruit set, it's so cold that it will damage that fruit and the tree will just yeah. go, no, and they'll all fall off. But, so but it, was, it was very difficult. So as an industry, we had quite a small crop volume. Yeah, but... 
but you also said that actually it, it's quite good news at the minute for the industry because it, it, it is in growth, which I was oh, really surprised. Oh, the industry is yeah. in growth. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I work directly with a group of 21 growers as well yeah. as my EAP job. Um, and if, for instance, we have 180 hectares, so that's two football pitches is one hectare, 180 hectares wow. of gala trees that are four years old as an average. So that's, you know, they're only growing... 25% of their potential volume at the Amazing. moment. So there's there's a lot of renewal and there's a lot of new varieties being planted. Mm. There's a lot of new technology being invested in. So the industry is is you know, really gearing up for the future and um, you're seeing a lot, of, um, a lot of new varieties coming forward. And what sort of things are they... Um, I think you said when we had our initial chat, that the, the growers are, are adopting kind of new, new techniques, aren't they, in order to sort of, you know... Make, grow more apples basically or be, be more successful at it yeah, yeah well i mean it is a business yeah. um yeah, apple growing is you know having a business in a beautiful piece of countryside so you mm. first of all you have your environmental responsibility so we're trying very hard to adopt new varieties and new techniques that minimize the environmental impact mm. actually you know a lot of money is being invested in environmental control so looking at predators and pollinating insects as opposed to using a, a plant protection product okay. um so that is you know twofold less environmental impact environmental impact so better for the future yeah. um but also it's cost as well you know we have to look at this at the point of view actually it's going to save us money we don't use this stuff we don't need the man on the tractor right don't need the carbon loading all of that so there's a big step changing culture that way um we're adopting different techniques so everyone has this lovely bucolic image of an apple orchard yeah i was gonna say trees <laughs> and the, yeah the sheep grazing underneath and and that that we're done with mm. that now because it's hard to pick people are on ladders they might fall off we don't want that um and <laughs> it's, it's so romantic though <laughs> I know it is lovely. and you know my childhood my yeah. grandfather was growing bramleys like that so really? yeah I, I i get why people love it but we now have um closely planted smaller trees they're grown on a trellis so actually you can see where the fruit is easier oh, okay. so picking is faster and more efficient yeah. um pollination is easier because the blossom's easy to get to you know bees can work their way up and down the road really yeah. easily um and also there's an opportunity there that you may not have to prune entirely by hand which is incredibly skilled and time consuming mm -hmm. you can do sort of 75 percent of your pruning on some orchard systems with a hedge cutter yeah. and then a skilled man will come or man lady will come through and do the detail work yeah um and that saves you a fortune yeah. and that's what this is about it's moving forward it's removing the labor element out of this to some extent um there's also big investments in how we're harvesting yeah, right. so we still need lots of people i mean horticulture in the uk as an industry needs eighty thousand people a year wow. seasonally for harvesting um top fruit i don't think we'll ever be able to pick it with robots but okay what we so, can so it do, is picked by hand still it's picked by hand every yeah. single apple you buy yeah. someone has chosen that apple for you quite literally hand-picked carefully put in a box and then carefully packed and for when you. they're when they're picking it they're actually looking at it to see is it ready oh, no, absolutely so we chain we, we train every single picker in an orchard and they're wow. basically a quality controller that's incredible. Mm. The detail is amazing. So that is real, that is still pretty romantic for me. Yeah, no, no, it is absolutely. <laughs> and you have um, you know a really great team of pickers. Yeah. They are picking you know, ninety five percent class one into a bin, and it's a real mark of pride. Most growers do a quality bonus for their pickers just to yeah. incentivise a bit more you know, attention to detail. And you've got teams that will consistently pick for eight weeks, and they'll hit ninety five percent class one in the bin. And they're really, really good. That's so cool. Mm. So tell us about some of the... Because I was I was a bit confused when I started researching, so I was looking at various apple varieties and going, oh, but that's not actually British, but wait, but it grows really well here. So that, that's the thing, isn't it? It's not... There's heritage varieties which were 
I guess Cox is one of them. That, absolutely. That is absolutely 100% and Bramley, British. And Bramley, Russet. Russet. Yep. But, like, Granny Smith, Braben, which we kind of think... That's a British novel. It's not. But it's not. No. Braeburn is grown in the UK yeah. and grows really, really well, well in the yeah. UK. We have brilliant flavour of Braeburn. Yeah. But Granny Smith, unfortunately, isn't British no. and it doesn't grow here either. <laughs> I mean, we, you, you can grow a version of Granny Smith, but yeah. actually most years, because it just needs loads of light and loads of heat, I mean, usually we don't get that. Yeah. And they do grow some fairly pathetic looking great green lumpy things <laughs> that people wouldn't want anyway. So no, no Granny Smith from the UK. And the same way with Golden Delicious. There's a small volume yeah. of Golden Delicious growing here, but really, if you spot one, it will be important. Gold, it's Golden Delicious, it's Australian, isn't it? Is that right? Oh, it's global. Is it? Yeah, most varieties that you will see on the shelf in retailer now is pretty global. I think... Um, a bit like Lurpak Butter in the 70s. There's been quite a lot oh, no, of market crunch market. campaign. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was such a successful so much, like, campaign. Yeah, advertising campaign in which gets the apple writers into your head from your childhood. So you're sort of convinced that, no, this is, it's Britain. It's a British apple. It's, I've, I've been eating it forever. You know, how can yeah, yeah. it be? I know, but I know. not true. But, but that's not necessarily a bad thing. I mean, what we were talking about is um, the, the getting the best out of the soil, getting the best out of the apples. So if we can bring in varieties from other countries and grow them here and they work really well, that's that's the mm-hmm. aim, I guess. Um, so on the table in front of us, oh, yeah, just we've got we some have three plates. Things, yeah. Now, these are three unnamed varieties okay. that have come out of a trial plot um, and they're being evaluated to see if they grow well in the UK. Okay. Um, does the tree like our climate and our soil? Okay. Um, can you prune it? Because some trees um, go absolutely mental. They want to be a shrub. So they're never <laughs> going to be they're easy to manage and they may not crop very well. Um, but then it also comes down to, if it does, it, does it grow a really nice apple that people oh, will want to eat? Yeah. Will it store well? Will it transport well? Um, you know, and, and also, we don't want people disappointed when they buy fruit. So actually no. we want something that we know that we can pick in this quality and you know, it will make it through the process of being packed and transported to store. Yeah. You can take it home and have it home for a few days and it's still going to be delicious. And that's the real challenge that has a lot of boxes it's got to tick before we start planting these varieties and commercially. How long does the trial last for? So, I mean, how long um, does it take? In this to, like, trial yeah. plot, we give them four years. So they're sent four to years. us by a nursery. Wow. Well, the thing is, near one, it's a, it's a baby tree. Yeah. Um, and we don't let it grow any apples because we want it to get established okay. and we can watch how it establishes and you can see the, the health of the tree. In year two, we might let them grow a few apples. And so we can then start evaluating what it does, how it behaves, okay. how you prune it. So we're looking at it from a grower's perspective and then we start bringing in the consumer considerations. Mm. Um, and then in year three, that's starting to crop quite well. So these will come off a year three plantation. So that's ready for tasting. And it's ready for tasting. And also we will do some storage trials on this as well. So we'll see how well it copes with seven days in a house so sort of normal sort of 18 degrees temperature oh, right. so you just leave it out does it go greasy yeah. does it go mealy you know, you know, treat them quite badly yeah. um, <laughs> but also we will give them a storage trial so we will refrigerate them as well and so we'll also evaluate Ooh. how long we can keep them so if we can pick them this week would they be okay to be kept and sold at Christmas yeah. so for this spectacular sort of purpley shiny one here yeah. wouldn't that be amazing if that works out that that can come be a Christmas apple because that's that's another thing as well, isn't it? That people might think, oh, that's a bit weird, like, you know, eating an apple that's three months old. But actually, it's an old, it, it's quite an old technique, isn't it? That keeping things yeah. in cold storage over Absolutely. the winter. Well, and it's, if, it's almost if, like suspended animation. Uh, that's exactly what it is. I mean, these are big, sophisticated fridges. Yeah. Um, and essentially what happens is, you know, when you have your fridge at home, you're opening yeah. the door all the time, all so the, the time. oxygen level yeah. is replenished all the time. Yeah. But all fruit and vegetables respire 
oxygen in carbon oh, dioxide out. So when you put them in a sealed stall mm. and you lower the temperature, of course it slows down the respiration because the cell activity slows down because of the temperature. Mm. And if you're then managing how much oxygen and carbon dioxide is in there, so naturally you know, uh, nitrogen is the other gas in the atmosphere that we breathe. Okay. So you end up with a nitrogen-rich, low carbon dioxide, low oxygen atmosphere okay. in there and they go into stasis. Which so means they, just, they don't, they they don't do change. They do not mature. No. And so different varieties have different lengths of time that they can yeah. tolerate that. And so we then monitor it every month. We go and check on it. Yeah. And there's a, um, an analysis system for every store that will tell us what's going on as well. So again, if an apple responds well to that, that process, it means that it can be on shelf for longer. People can enjoy it for longer. It's Absolutely. The, and, and we can extend gets our more, season yeah. because we, you know, when people go into shops, I, I, in my Inked Apples and Pears role, we get quite a lot of letters from people, particularly July, you know, June, July, yeah. August, <laughs> and the beginning of September. I can't see British apples. Well, I think that's when I write you up. I was, I was like, I can't see, I can't see, but I can't see any apples, Sarah. And you were like, well, you know, it's July. I mean. We haven't picked any yet, but nearly. Yeah. Um, and, and that's the real challenge because... Mm. We have a lot of imported fruit. We mm. satisfy about 40% of the marketplace in the which UK. Which is pretty incredible. Which is amazing. Um, in 2017 into 2018, clearly we couldn't do 12 months worth of fruit no. because of the frost damage last year. But the 2016 picked crop that we finished selling in August 2017, mm. we did 12 months in the UK. So Bramley usually always goes 12 months. Yeah. They keep really well. So you can cook with Bramley 12 months of the year. But for um, dessert apples, sweet apples historically we've managed to get them through to March and then April and then yeah. a few varieties into May. Well, we now have the technology and the varieties that will let us do 12 months. That's great. So you can have English apples, British apples, all the year round. All the year round. That's the dream, isn't it? Yeah, and it works really well for the growers. Yeah. You know, and this is our home market. People have huge amounts of pride in British yeah. growing goods. So, yeah, we need to do our bit to make sure they can always okay. find them. Well, let's try some of these apples. So the first one we're going to try, we just both said it looks like a snow white, wicked it queen so apple. lovely. It's shiny up beautifully yeah. and it has crisp white flesh um well have, have a little yeah, try I'll try um lovely and that is it's really it's kind of slightly mouth puckering which i like in an apple mm. i don't like it overly sweet no um so this was picked yesterday in the rain um <laughs> <laughs> I um, should say it is. Um, it's a very juicy apple. Yeah, it's lovely. It has a really good balance between the fruit sugars and the fruit acids. So yeah. you have got quite a zing when you're eating yeah. it. Um, I'll really pick it crisp. again next week. Because also one of the things we have to do with this trial plot yeah. is find out when's the best time to pick them. Okay. So I quite like that slightly sharper, more aromatic yeah. apple. So we'll just see what that's going to be like next week. And this is a this is a combination of is it three varieties? Did you say? Um, actually, for this one, more? I can get I can guess what one of the parents is because oh. it looks like a Spartan. Um, oh, but there okay. are others in there. So what we're trying to do with this one, Spartan is. Um, a niche variety it's yeah. very popular it is so beautiful but one of the problems for growers is that the trees aren't particularly robust so they get a thing called canker so it becomes expensive to grow them but also its shelf life on spartan isn't okay. the greatest so actually if we can come up with something that looks the same tastes even better yeah it's a beautiful beautiful apple and it so it's be like a, a breeding program where you're trying to accentuate all the good things about the apple keeping mm. the character um but like kind of breeding out the stuff that's going to damage in growth and make yeah, it less. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, cool. And it's all about making life better for everybody all the way through the chain. Cool. And then the next one, should we go to this one, which has got a beautiful kind of golden yellow skin and then bright, a sort of bright red blush on it as well. Mm -hmm. um, this is sweeter. 
So when we were analysing apples, um, this is 16% sugar. So this is pretty much like a pink lady. Yeah, this in is In terms nice. of its sweet level. Lovely. Um, again, we're looking for something that's crunchy and it's juicy. Um, this grows really well. It has lovely lovely shaped tree so it'll please grow us that way yeah um so we just need to work out now whether this will store brilliant so what we're looking for is we've got great varieties yeah yeah gala braeburn they grow really really well yeah, in yeah. the uk and our flavor is really good um but it's adding to the mix on that um you know, it's called a red dessert bag or best of british those sorts okay. of ones yeah. the bag that you can go and pick up every week and there's a chance you'll have something different in there okay do they name the, the variety on they the do. bag it's on that little label where you've got the oh. date code that says eat before or whatever it is, yeah, whichever the choice mm. is, it, should, it will say on there and you have to declare what the variety That's is in the amazing. bag. So it's worth going and finding that bag and having a look at that little label. So it's kind of like a pick and mix, but you get, you'll know exactly mm. what, like it might change week to week, Yep. but you'll be discovering new things every week. Absolutely. That's fantastic. Absolutely. And this time of year, that bag also is particularly interesting because there's, um, there's a whole clutch of varieties that come through in September and early okay. October that go in there and they're not growing in great variety, yeah, volume. Mm. So there's always a bit of a change. Yeah. Okay. And let's, let's try the last one, which is, I mean, that's pretty red. Yeah, with- it's red. Um... So one of the things we're learning on this one, you need to thin the blossoms. One of the bits that people don't realise, when you grow apples, you see these gorgeous, gorgeous pictures of loads of blossom and trees packed and all the bees working. But actually that orchard will probably set more apples than is good for those trees to grow. Or they don't grow to the right size. It grows too much. So another piece of hand work, trained people, is that you go go through by hand and you thin those trees. Wow. So Which once work. all the fruit's set, you go through and you can make a quality-informed decision on what you're yeah. going to keep. Which makes me just want to buy more English apples even more. Please. Yeah, this is su- super crunchy, though, as well, isn't it? It's super kind crunchy. of in between it's a bit the two. Harder. Kind of, yeah. Totally different flavour for these two. Yeah. So the purpley one is super apple flavour, I yeah. think. That's very, very strongly apple. That is just quite nice. There's a slightly sort of lemony undertone yeah, yeah, to it. Yeah. Really good. This is almost... This is... There's a query on this one because not everybody likes that kind of floral right. sort of flavour that comes through. Yeah. But it's juicy and it's crisp mm. and that one juices really well. So maybe that's maybe where its yeah. avenue will be. So tell us about where the, the supermarkets are with... Because I think you said that they, they're being pretty supportive to mm. British apples um, and that when, when the seasons come along, I'm just thinking, you know, for our, for our listeners, how can, how can they, like, most practically kind of support the British apple industry? And I guess it's when you, when you go shopping take a little bit longer to check out the packet. Mm. Don't just go blindly and buy your... So go, yeah, go and look for the box with Yun Jack on. So some yeah. of the retailers, um, I've seen some proof boxes recently and they're so lovely. Yeah. Black boxes with uh, the range name from that retailer. Oh, nice. And Union Jack bunting around the edge. There's yeah. all sorts of lovely bits of packaging that will be in stores for the main season. Yeah. Um, also look for Union Jacks on the bag. Every retailer will put a Union Jack on mm-hmm. their British bag. Um, and ask... You know, there's usually somebody around the produce yeah. fixture. Go and find them because they're the people who are stocking the shelves. And if yeah. they don't have British, go and ask them. Yeah. Because they do have some autonomy. Most retailers will allow the, the staff in that department to make requests or ensure that something's there. Mm-hmm. But usually it's just go and have a look at the, at the fixture yeah. and check. So usually you'll have um, its flow wrap packs now, so you should from next week from the 15th probably you'll have 15th okay. September sorry have Cox's in Gala will follow Braeburn you'll get sort of end of October November okay. um, but then obviously that that dessert apple selection bag yeah, that will have lots of different yeah. things and then you've got the four apple special packs so you've got different formats in oh, all okay. the retailers and Bramley's every retailer will always have British Bramley yeah. in there for cooking so it's just a case of going and seeking I mean there'll be 
like you said, in season, it'll be quite obvious where they are and mm-hmm. what you can get. And no, absolutely. And um, English Apples and Pears have this great British apple, uh, great British apple campaign. <laughs> sorry. Um, and a lot of retailers are going to use that branding. So yeah. there will be some small labels on the Bramleys oh, cool. and all sorts of bits and pieces going on. I got, when I was on your website the other day, and I can't remember off the top of my head, but you probably can, there were a couple of new varieties popping up as well as the that I'd never heard of mm-hmm. before. So could, tell us about those. Some, um, of, the, some of the new the, the new ones that, I, yeah, well, this, that are listed. That, they're, they're 10 years beyond what's on these beyond, plates. Yeah, basically. okay. <laughs> so that's, that's what we're aiming for. So you've got, um, you have sort of the regular yeah. ones, which are... Um, available to everybody to grow. Yeah. So we don't have to pay, pay royalty fees on sort of the main bulk. Oh, and then you okay. have these other ones which are club varieties. So there's oh. Jazz and there's Kansy and there's Ruby and there's it, yeah. Opal and Evelina and um, what else have we got? Um, Cameo, did I say Cameo? You've got Zari. There's, there's so lots does, and lots and lots coming through. What does that mean, through. paying, paying it? So it's um, Pink Lady is a club apple. So right. everybody that grows Pink Lady, they pay a small amount of money per oh. tree and per, and per kilo into the fund that pays for all that incredible pink branding everywhere oh, wow. and the advertising campaign. Yeah. So these varieties also have um, a royalty that goes back to the person who invested all the money in breeding them. Okay. And then also they have a small amount of money that goes into a campaign to promote them. So it's basically like keeping that style going, really. Everyone's Absolutely. contributing to just keeping and them... And also within those clubs, there is um, some control. So not everybody can grow them. You've got right. to be a certain quality expert grower to be able to do that oh, okay. and it's about again guaranteeing, guaranteeing that every quality. time you pick up yeah. that fruit it's going to be what you want and it it's to going be. to and, and that's that's kind of a brilliant way to to maintain quality isn't it <laughs> to kind of just make sure that everyone's invested in yeah. it as well i mean as so from from my perspective it, it's um it's it's a good way to work but it also it doesn't take away from anything anybody else does it does yeah there are such strong standards in the UK yeah. on, in terms of quality and working with the retailers. You know, we offer them some very strong guarantees in terms of the flavour and the crunch and the, yeah. the whole eating experience. Yeah. So buying a British apple does come with a really good quality guarantee. Yeah. I think most people after listening to this are going to... Because I'm constantly going... Like, people will come in with apples and I'll be like, is that British? <laughs> but I think from this, um, I'm definitely going just going to go and look a bit closer to... Um, on those packaging and check things out but like thanks for chatting to us today i just wanted to mention that um the website that you sent me to which is so charming the english apple man um <laughs> tell us about him because he's it's basically him trying to translate for the consumer what kind of goes on in yeah so there, there are a number of really good websites. So I've yeah. got Great British Apples, yeah, yeah. which is the one for which the is, industry yeah. campaign, which is all about finding your favourite apple and where you can buy British apples. Yeah. English Apple Man is just... He's a lovely friend of mine. He used to work within the industry yeah. and he's retired now. And his retirement project is visiting all the farms, going yeah. on all the farm walks, going to all the shows. And he writes up in such a nice, accessible yeah, manner. Yeah. Um, and he's really good. I, mean, don't, I would hate to say how old John is, but somewhere in his middle to late 70s, I believe. But he's on Twitter and he's on Facebook. 70s, the new 40s. He's so cool. <laughs> so great. Um, but he's brilliant. And there are a lot of stalwarts like him yeah. who are telling the story in a really good way and and got so much knowledge as well and that's great to be able to read read that you Mm -hmm. know know that he's got those years of knowledge behind him and stuff yeah Yeah. that's great okay so um greatbritishapples.com and also check out theenglishappleman.com for more information but thank you so much for chatting to us today i've learned so much thank Thank you. you Hello, and I'm here with Nick, who is the co-founder of Rude Health. 
and we are at the Root Health Porridge Championships, which are now in their sixth year. And we're going to be talking about the perfect porridge, which is very fitting now it's kind of turned autumnal. So um, why did the championship start in the first place? Good morning and yes, welcome to this porridge championship. The inspiration behind the Porridge Championships is really founded in Scotland. There's a uh, 25th anniversary this year of the World Porridge Championship, which takes place in a village of Carbridge, not far from Aviemore in the Cairngorms. And that championship began as a community initiative to raise awareness for this little village of Carbridge, which had no other features apart from a, uh, an outdoor park. And uh, the community leaders thought that it would be a good idea to um, praise and, and focus upon porridge as a, as a, as a meal. Nice. Um, and so I've been, in fact, th th those of us within Root Health have been going up to Carbridge every year in October and taking part in the championship. Ah. And out of that came the desire to have a London-focused event where we could celebrate diversity in porridge rather than water, salt and oatmeal. Yes. And that's where the Root Health Porridge Championships came from in terms of inspiration, let alone the fact that we also make a variety of different porridges. And, um, and indeed, that was the reason we went in the first place, was that, you know, we make great porridge, so we should yeah. be participating in the World Porridge Championship. Amazing. And so, obviously, at that event in Scotland, I know there are very strict rules about you only use water, yeah. oatmeal. Are there rules to this championship, or is it free-for-all? No, I mean, there's a, there's a degree of free-for-all. Uh, you're right about the Scottish and the World Porridge Championships, where you can win the Golden Spurtle. Mm. Um, there are two categories in the World Porridge Championship. One is the traditional porridge, which is what I specialize in having one, uh, may I drop that one in, uh, where, where I won the speciality. So there's ah. the traditional and then the speciality in the World Prize Championships. And the traditional, exactly as you say, is oatmeal, water, salt, and that's it. And you're wow. given half an hour to make a bowl. But you also, at the same time, have to make a bowl of the speciality, which can be oat-based, but is then free for all. Savoury, okay. sweet, right. uh, baked. I mean, you can't, you, you're given two burners, so you're not going to be right. doing any baking. Yeah. Um, and out of that, again, as you can imagine, the inspiration for a London-based event was speciality. Yes. So this is a free-for-all based only on a time frame. So you have to have an oat base. You don't have to use root health. You, don't have to, you can do whatever you <laughs> like. Whatever. Um, that's, that's, that's not the point. The point is to celebrate this wonderful bowl of, 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 of really satisfying <laughs> yeah. and sustaining food. So um, it's a time situation. So the, the, there's timed and then there'll be questions around your marked according to the original the sourcing, and so on. So what we're looking for is, is some thoughtfulness around the quality of the food that goes into the bowl. Okay, and I guess the sourcing of the ingredients and exactly. that kind of stuff. Exactly. And again, we're not thinking about whether it's... Um, uh, of a particular sort of locale, whether it's Scottish no. or whether it's... You know, it's just, have you thought this through yeah. rather than pluck something just off the shelf as a default item? So in other yeah. words... Um, there have been some marvellous winners uh, based on imagination. And yes. that also goes all the way through to where they source the food from. Well, I was going to say, so you, um, so Nick is a judge, of course, and um, you must have been doing this for, yeah, six years now. So over those years, what, what are the best ones that you've seen? Do they tend to be sweet, savoury, or...? There, there's been such a variety, and the winner has... Um, that there isn't a pattern. Okay. The, the, the fundamental uh, deciding factor between the judges and myself consistently over the years mm. um, is 
would would you finish the bowl? Could you not? Yes. Could you not stop eating it? Mm. Um, which for many people in porridge, I mean, you were brought up at school with porridge. It was a struggle to finish. Yeah. Porridge at the end of the day is nothing, nothing more than gruel at its worst. Yeah. A sort of soupy concoction. <laughs> um, and so the uh, last year and the year before and so on and so on, going back for five, six years, the, the winner just shines really? out of the bowl as yeah. being Moorish for mm. the right reasons. Not Moorish because it's covered in, you know, maple syrup and uh, yes, addictive stuff. sweet yeah. stuff. So this means that there's, uh, uh, there's been a tremendous variety of, of, of um, ingredients. So in the first years, one of the winners was, or joint winner, I believe, was um, more like a risotto. So oh, okay. you use chicken stock and uh, like mushrooms. Like a congee. Exactly. You know, yeah. Rice congee. Congee is, wow. is the Asian form mm. of porridge. And uh, polenta is the Italian form of porridge. Yeah. And mealy meal in, in, in Africa um, and in the, in the Afro-Caribbean world is again another porridge. Yeah. So that was one. Another... L- l- the two years ago native restaurant here in London oh, one with a recipe that was had um, wood ants. Oh, I actually went and chatted to them the other day and they made me try some ants. Oh, they, it's Incre- extraordinary. Citrus, isn't citrus. it? Yeah. Citrus. So what it's you amazing. had there was this fabulous uh, blend of seasonal, I think there was some quince or some, oh. you know, some harvested quince uh, <laughs> and then these wood ants from Sussex. Yeah. And so what you had was this uh, zing, yeah. citrusy zing this from the wood ants. Burst of flavour. Um, um, and then, uh, much as I was told not to, uh, I mean, this, is, this isn't tasted blind, whereas the world porridge yes. is tasted blind. Um, I was under the um, uh, I- I- impression that obviously there was no way Native would win again. I mean, obviously, because there must be others. Yeah. But last year, um, I, I couldn't, we couldn't help it. All three really? judges were unanimous. And last yeah. year's Native Bowl, this year we, we've got a secret trick with that they're not taking <laughs> they're part. They're not But they're judging. So Imogen oh, from oh, Native lovely. is judging. Amazing. And last year's porridge, um, winning porridge bowl, had um, bone marrow and mm. a parsnip. Wow. And it was, again, this sweet, savoury. Sweet, yeah. And, again, you were diving into the bowl. Last year was very close. There was mm-hmm. the second and third were mm. very, very close to each other. But the first, yet again, shone out as being... Just that bit extra. original. Yes, yeah. And... Uh, decadently more, yeah. but in a in a benign way. You know, you weren't going to feel um, overwhelmed by any one of the ingredients. Yeah, and the combinations that you just wouldn't expect no. in porridge as well, no. which adds to it, I guess. No. So for you, having won the World Porridge Championships as well, what makes the perfect bowl of porridge? Is it water? Is it milk? Well, if you, if you come back to... if you, There are two aspects to that. One, if we're, we're thinking largely of a of a bowl of porridge that most people would make. Yes. And if you were um, north of the border, although this isn't strictly speaking true, you would use oatmeal rather than oat flakes. Yeah. And then you would use water rather than milk or a milk-water combination. And you would use salt rather than sugar. Mm. And the original crofter's bowl of porridge, a crofter being a subsistence way of life in, in the highlands and islands, they'd have a milk cow. They'd, they'd have either their own uh, oats or they would have a local supply of oats, which they would have milled um, t- on demand. They would make the porridge in the morning. They would have it uh, individually with water, made with water and salt of oatmeal. And then they would have a bowl of the cream uh, okay. in the middle of the table or shared. Yeah. And you should try this. You, you, and uh, this is what um, uh, I made this morning for my son, Amen. is that you would have a bowl of oatmeal, salty porridge, with you then dip your spoon with the hot porridge into the 
cold cream. Oh, wow. And then you've got, what you've got then is you've got the fat of the oats, which is good fat. You've got the mm. fat of the cream, which is good fat. You've got the sweetness in the oats, which is benign. And you've got yeah. the sweetness in the cream from the lactose, which gives you this incredible, yeah. incredible cold, warm, cold, smooth, salty, yeah. slightly sweet. Wow. That is the ultimate yeah. uh, traditional bowl of porridge. Mm. Um, and then what you do thereafter in terms of making the perfect bowl of porridge, well, to, to my mind, it's down to um, whether you're using oat flakes or whether you're using oat meal. And then it's yes. a question whether you like half milk, half water, whether you like using an almond drink or a rice mm. or a coconut drink. I think the fundamental principle is don't make it too watery and then boil it down. Right. Never, ever Never do, that. do that. It's filthy. Okay. Last year in the World Prize Championships, I was in my sixth final wow. for the Golden Spurtle. Sixth, which, again, sort of um, uh, humbly, it was, that's, that's ever happened. Before. Well, yeah, it's and impressive. So I, think, I think by the law of averages, I ought to win. They ought yes. to just take pity on me. But last year in the first round, I made this fabulous, dare I say, <laughs> bowl of porridge. And then in the final, I blew it. Oh, no. And I, it was too watery. Yeah. And then you know it's too late. There's no you, way of there's saving no it. No way from of that. going back. And I and I was I was disheartened. Yes. Uh, so never make it too watery. Always start off with it too dry and add a little bit and of that, liquid. Right. Yes. And, and then, then you can control it. And likewise with the salt, don't start off with a lot of salt. Put a little bit in, and then when you add a little more liquid, just trickle a little bit of salt. And never ever use table salt. Never. Never. Ever, ever. Get some flavour in the salt, whether it's your favourite pink Himalayan or whether mm. it's your sea salt from the, you know, from Brittany. Use salt that has minerality around yes. it. And that will give it... An, and this year I'm taking Isle of Skye oh. uh, sea salt, which is dried in polytunnels on oh, wow. Crofter's land. Um, oh, which couldn't be more no, it couldn't be more, more local, in fitting, yeah, and also not kilned. <laughs> yes. so it's it's very slowly solar dried. Oh, um, wow. So that that's my and then this year as usual I'll be taking the the oatmeal that was inspired. The root health oatmeal was inspired by the World Porridge Championship. So it's a blend oh. of two different types of oatmeal to right. give the best bowl of porridge. I'll be taking that and so on. And my own homemade spurtle and my own pan yes. and so on. Yes. So now I want to discuss the spurtle, which we have sat in front of us. Yes. And so when you're making porridge, you should not use a wooden spoon. Yeah. Well, you, 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 there are no laws around no. making porridge. I mean, I'd rather you made porridge not in a microwave yes. using a metal spoon than you using a microwave and boiling it down. Boiling it over. Know. So, so um, a spurtle is a traditional stirring stick made mm. of wood. Um, these here that uh, we've got are um, uh, machine lathes, but they're, they're a, um, it's, it's a straight uh, stick that has, you can't serve with it. It's really for rapid mm. whipping. And so you could imagine right. using this for whipping up a risotto if you wanted to keep um, mm. the liquid moving amongst the rice. And the idea is that this is, Indeed, it really does work well when you're stirring fast. Because you imagine right. if you stir fast with a wooden spoon in the porridge, it goes everywhere. Yeah. So it it's pretty much useless for anything other than polenta, <laughs> risotto, in other words, other gruels. Yeah. And um, being rather fastidious, I make my own spurtles. And uh, this year I'll be taking, I'm not quite sure which one I'm going to use, whether it's going to be made of beech or maple wow. or the ash um, spurtle and I think I'll choose on the day. You have your own favourite spurtle indeed one of my spurtles is worn down from too much porridge use. For just just stirring and stirring and stirring. So a spurtle is a 
is a tremendously um, uh, original and mm. uh, useful tool for whipping up porridge. For years, in the early days, I think my first three visits to the World Porridge Championship, I, I shunned the spurt light. Oh, really? and what I did <laughs> no, was that no. I, I had a wooden spoon that I bought and then wrote porridge on the handle so that you didn't use it for so savoury, for yes. garlic or yeah, uh, highly flavoured foods. Yeah. Um, and then I uh, then started to make my own spurtles and, and, and um, f- f- found myself becoming a bit of a spurtle a lover. A spurtle addict. Exactly. <laughs> And so do all the competitors here today have to use a spurtle? They don't have they to. Don't have they, to. They, they are supplied with one, okay. as a, both as a, as a tool and as a memento. Yes. Amazing. And so finally, if you can cast your mind back over six years, what's the wildest topping porridge you've ever seen? Well, it has to be the ants, doesn't the it, ants. really? It has yeah. to be the ants. I um, think so. There's been bacon, obviously. There was one very good one where the individual was inspired by visiting a breakfast bar in New York where mm. you could have what was called cereal milk. Okay. You oh, know, yes. does this ring? Like infused, this... like cocoa Correct. pops, say. In yes. other words, you'd have a, a, a sweetened, coloured yes. milk. <laughs> and he used that. Wow. So that was quite sweet. a challenge because it was childhood memories, let's just say, with this... Bizarre sort of infusion of industrial cereals, industrial um, sickly sweetness. Sweet. That was quite fun. Amazing. Well, thank you so much, Nick. And yeah, I hope you're looking forward to eating lots more porridge this morning. And good luck at the World Championships again this year. Yes, that takes place on Saturday. (laughs) Oh, amazing. uh, In Carbridge. And then don't forget also that 1010, 10th of October every year, is World Porridge Day. Well, everyone should. Go and make some porridge on that day as well then and eat it. Amazing. Thank you. So that was the Olive Magazine podcast. If you like this episode, please head over to iTunes and leave a review. We'd love to hear from you. If you'd like to find out more information on things in this episode, you can head to our website, olivemagazine.com. You can pick up a copy of our brand new October issue on the newsstand now or go download the app version. Bye for now and we'll be back next week with more food and drink chat.